0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that by it, we know you. Lord, we know your story. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would open our hearts, open our minds, our ears, and our eyes. God, as we um, look at Genesis 15 and other scriptures We see your plan, Lord, from the beginning as you were on mission. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning we are continuing in our Epiphany series uh, titled Mission from the Beginning, uh, and we are following the covenant that God made with Abram. As Robert said last week, Epiphany reminds us that we know God, this is really important, Not because we are more clever or holier than others, but because God has made himself known in Scripture, in history, and in our everyday lives. We're also reminded in Epiphany that God's redemptive plan is not a series of audibles and detours. Rather, it is methodical, and it's always advancing as he wills. Because God has been on mission from the beginning, and like Abram, you and I are invited to follow his lead and join him in this work. In chapter 12 of Genesis, Abram modeled for us the proper response to receiving the revelation of God. He obeyed, he worshiped, and then he started walking. Now in chapter 15, we're going to see God double down on what he promised in chapter 12, as well as a ceremony wherein the God of the universe shows up in this really cosmic way. But before we get into it, let's review. What has God said? What were the calms so far? What had he revealed to Abram? 12, 1 through 3. Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then verse 7 of 12. To your offspring, I will give this land. Then chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So we see these five key promises. God's going to make Abe into a great nation. He's going to make his name great. There's going to be this blessing portal, which is very different from the NCAA college football portal. Uh, Then there's going to be offspring. And then there will be land. Land. Now, in chapter 15, we're going to see this series of God's proclamations to Abram and then his response to said proclamations from Yahweh, then Yahweh's response to Abe's response. And we're going to see this happen in two stages. Here's proclamation number one, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse one. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great." It's a really interesting piece of communication from the God who made the universe, because the last comms that Abram received was in 1317, as we just read, arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So he keeps talking about this land that's going to be given. Remember the promises of God from earlier, great name, great nation, blessing, offspring, and land. So why would Abram be fearful after hearing all of those great promises? He's heard some pretty amazing things from Yahweh, right? I think it's an issue of time. Because God had promised these humongous blessings to a couple with no land and no children, no offspring. We don't know exactly uh, how many months or years had passed between chapter 12 when Abram received the promise, uh, when God said, don't be afraid, in 15, so in in between that time. Uh, But it was long enough for he and Sarah to have gone to Egypt for a while. It was long enough for them to have then departed Egypt. It was long enough for Abe to become a successful rancher. And long enough for him to have raised up a small army to rescue Lot. My estimation is somewhere between seven and ten years from that first promise, because we know that he received the first promise when he was 75 years old, and we know that Abraham is 86 when Ishmael is born. So it's somewhere in between seven to ten years. Years and years have gone by since God showed up. Since God has communicated to him, so the reason why God says in fifteen one, "Don't be afraid," is because Abram was afraid. It's the thing about God; He knows everything. This is why He said it. Don't be afraid, Abram. I know that you're afraid. And why was he afraid? Because so much time had passed. He thought that God wasn't going to come through on the promise. Have you ever been there with God? Have you ever been there with another person that's significant to you? Silence is deafening. Inactivity erodes trust. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was something that they promised to change. Maybe it was something else far more important. But Abram and Sarah had been waiting, had been waiting for the fulfillment. But as of this point, there is no great name, there is no great nation, there is no offspring, and there is no land. Brueggemann said it this way, Abram had concluded by now that there would be no change. The call from barrenness was a false alarm. If barrenness prevails and the promise is null and void. So this is where they are. They've been waiting. Sure, they got a ranch. It's really cool. But that's not what they were looking for. That was not the hope of their hearts. So God doubles down, and he says, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. And that reward is land. Here's Abe's response to God's proclamation O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So we've got to follow the logic for Abram here to understand his protest, because his response is one of doubt, right? Yahweh has proclaimed this thing. Don't be afraid. You're going to have this great reward He's looking around and he responds with doubt. In his mind, and I agree with Abe here, he's quickly approaching the centurion mark. There's no nation, there's no great name, there's no blessing portal because there is no heir. No heir, no land, no land, no nation. No heir, no land, no land, no nation. We'll look at God's response to Abe's response. So the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and number the stars even if you're able to number them, so shall your offering be. Have you ever been to the desert or a small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean where there's no light pollution and you go outside at 10 p.m. and you look up and it's just twinkling everywhere. That's what it would have been like. No light pollution. Millions and millions of twinkling lights. And Abraham, Abram, he's in his mid 80s, and he's just heard this crazy promise of millions upon millions of offspring. And then, verse six listen to his response. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So something in God's words reignited hope, reignited faith. He believed what God had said. And then God issues proclamation too. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now look at Abe's response. It's one of curiosity. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? It's kind of like Mary's response when the angel Gabriel told her Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's quite a proclamation. And Mary's response, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a pretty appropriate response from Mary. Abram responds with curiosity. Okay, but how will I know? My guess is it's 70-30 here. 70% curious, 30% doubt. I think he's very human. I know he's very human. We don't know because God responds in this really interesting way. He puts Abram to sleep. Bring me a heifer that's three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And so Abram brought God all these, cut them in half, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, he shooed them away. And behold, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, Dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And this is what he then says. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Egypt. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. There's a whole lot in there, which is really neat to think about. But but let's pay attention to these last few. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Um, I was going to have Matt Swantner bring us a deer carcass uh, and chop it down the middle uh, for us to kind of see this, but I decided against it. So just raise your hand real quick if if you find this ritual rather odd. Yeah. Like, what's with all the half-cut animals? And then the fire pot and the thing, right? Well, here's the context. This was a common practice in the ancient Near East. For two people to make a covenant, they would cut animals in half. They would split those halves, and then the two people would walk in between the halved animals. And what was happening was each person was swearing that if they did not uphold their end of the covenant, may it be to them... Come on, Robert. May it be to them... Yeah, you gotta walk with me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, we it's, it's, it's not a real covenant, right? Okay, so Robert is looking at half of a heifer over here, and he's really thinking, like, do I really wanna make this deal? Oh, gosh. Oh, man, I need more coffee today. Okay, so this is what's happening. We can, you can sit down, thank you. Okay. Now, I don't know where the turtle dove is in relation, but, okay. So what was happening is they were making these covenants very seriously. And blood was shed for these things to happen. In our passage here with Abram, God enacts such a covenant with with him, but there's a key difference. Did you see it? In this covenant, only one party walked through the pieces. God himself. And he did it in the form of a smoking oven and flaming torch. Abraham did not walk through. Only God did. So what does this mean? Because it's really, really significant. It means that God alone took responsibility for fulfilling the terms of the covenant. That's amazing. Later we're going to see, in just a a chapter or two, we're going to see that God utilizes another common practice of the time called a suzerain vassal treaty wherein the suzerain, the greater, the more important, the more powerful leader, entered into a treaty with a lesser ruler. Now, in those treaties, the suzerain, or the superior ruler, promised blessings for loyalty and obedience and curses for rebellion. Um, Some scholars see this covenant being cut in Genesis 15 as one of those. Others do not. I happen to agree with the latter. Because Abram does not walk through. It's only God. There's only one party that's cutting the covenant. He cut the animals, but he did not walk through them. Only God did. And so essentially what God was doing is he made a contract in which he promised blessing to Abram, land, descendants, without any stipulations to be upheld by Abram. In other words, God made an unconditional covenant with himself, with his great name, his great title as the guarantee, as the bond for this thing to go through. Hebrews 6.13, for when God made a promise to Abram, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. In our gospel reading this morning, we heard many of the promises from Genesis 15 fulfilled. Listen again to Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we hear land we hear nation, we hear blessing, right? Further on in chapter two of Matthew, it says, and then Joseph went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets, the prophets of what nation? Israel, might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So the promise of God to Abram by the cutting of a blood covenant in Genesis 15 This is a foreshadowing of the new covenant that was cut by God alone, listen up, in Christ alone. None of us cut that covenant with Jesus. He alone endured the humiliation and the suffering and the weight of sin on that covenant. Further in Hebrews, chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal salvation. The next chapter. Therefore, brothers For he who promised is faithful. Amen. He who promised is faithful. If you're like me, um, you can read a promise in the scriptures. You might hear something specific by way of the Spirit. And uh, by the time, like, Eight or nine months goes by with inactivity, seeming inactivity, faith and hope wane. Sometimes it's eight or nine minutes. I'm like, God, when are we going to do this? Right? What we see in Abram and Sarah is they had to wait a long, long time. But when we see the arc of this whole thing, we see that God indeed was faithful. He continues to be faithful and will always be faithful to what he's spoken. Um, Bishop Barron, who uh, edited the Word on Fire series, he wrote this about our gospel passage this morning. The Old Testament reveals how God chose Israel to be especially his own, a priestly people, a holy nation. But the reason for this choice was not to glorify Israel over against the other nations. Rather... It was to make of Israel a beacon to the world so that, through Israel, all might be gathered to himself. Remember that God's redemptive plan is not a series of audibles and detours. Rather, it is a methodical, it's methodical and it's always advancing as he wills. God has been on mission from the beginning and like Abram, you and I are invited to follow his lead and to join him in this work. Um, one of the things that we are doing in the season of Epiphany is we have a prayer for mission after the sermon each week. Um, last week, we prayed for grace for our community uh, that we would be a people on mission. And this week, we're going to pray for other churches in our city as they seek to live on mission. And what's great is all the churches that we'll pray for this morning, morning are churches that we know the leadership of or that I got to visit uh, this summer on my sabbatical, um, and so would you join me in praying for these folks? Oh Jesus, light of the world, come into the dark places of this earth. You bring a light from God that only you can shed. Light eternal, your light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. O oh, Jesus, light of the world, be a morning star above for us, a radiance within the shining all around that lets us live in love. Only then shall we be reflectors of your brightness and give glory to God in heaven. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for Christ Episcopal Church in their search for their new rector after Father Patrick's retirement. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for St. Andrews, for Reverend Crocker and all the exciting things going on just across the park from us. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for First Prez. For Reverend Mitchell Moore and all the outreach ministries in the heart of downtown that they do so faithfully. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for the garden. For Pastor Caleb in their first year as a church plant near the Med Center. That God would draw more and more to himself through that church. And for the Jarzombaks as they help the garden get set up for foster adopt ministry. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for New Creation Christian Fellowship, for Reverend Jessica Bass and her pastoral work and mental health. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for St. Paul's Lutheran, for Father Dave Morillo, and their really important gospel work on the south side. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for Antioch Missionary Baptist Church, for Dr. Kemp and their witness to so, so many on the east side. Lord, continue to bless his preaching ministry. Jesus, we ask you to shine through these churches to the glory of your name and the betterment of our great city. Amen.